This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project that features artists and arts professionals discussing their work, ideas, and lives, offering listeners a forthright and unique understanding about the process, experiences, and people behind the artistic pursuit. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, long form, and unscripted. Deep Color is supported by the New Art Dealers Alliance. NADA is the definitive nonprofit arts organization dedicated to the cultivation, support, and advancement of new voices in contemporary art. NADA's 2019 summer programming includes NADA House, an off-site exhibition on Governor's Island in New York City. The exhibit features presentations by 45 artists from NADA member galleries and nonprofits installed in three historic turn-of-the-century colonial revival houses. The collaborative public exhibition will be on view every weekend through August 4th, 2019. To learn more, visit newartdealers.org. This episode profiles Sophie Stone. Sophie uses items like fabric and twine, old textiles, fabric dye, paint and oil pastel to create works that shift between painting, sculpture, and domestic floor rugs. Through deconstructing her materials, her work interrupts and honors existing patterns and structures. Edges and contours have been rebraided and reinvented. Entire sections are folded and flipped, challenging the back to become the front. Existing stains and spills are transformed into gesture, while other areas in the work have been edited with paint. The final pieces are flexible in their form. They hang on walls like paintings, lay on the floor like a rug, or operate in between by slithering from wall to floor reminding us that gravity pulls everything down. Sophie's work is full of texture and functional ambiguity and highlights an interest in reimagining boundaries, history and place, and the reinterpretation of materials. We recorded the following conversation at her studio in the Chelsea section of Manhattan. Before we talk about art, were you at the florist today? Yes, I was, yeah. Tell me about this, because you... emailed me as as this is something maybe we could talk about oh yeah well I always feel like people find that I mean I always like hearing about artists that have jobs other jobs because most people do and some people like talking about them and some people don't and I have always really loved flowers and when I graduated from RISD and I moved to the city and I was like okay well I need you know a day job sure I did a bunch of other things, but I always have worked for a florist, even if it was like one day a week or two days a week. And in the beginning, it wasn't even making flowers. It was like answering phones and... Right. The administrative stuff of the office. Yeah, 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 exactly. So um, I'm trying to think how... Well, I don't know. I've worked for many different ones and Mm -hmm. now I'm kind of at a... I'm a head designer for this woman in the city and I've worked for her for about six years now. Wow. And is this... Is floral arrangement something that... I mean, I... I imagine having a background in visual art is incredibly useful in such a field, but there is some probably formal approaches to putting together a flower, a floral arrangement. Are you self-taught? Did you learn on the job? How did you pick up those skills? I would say it's, I was definitely learned on the job. Yeah. I also, um, my mom is a big gardener, so I always knew all the names of flowers, which definitely helps. And, um, yeah, I would definitely, so a mixture of being self-taught and learning on the job. Yeah, yeah. And is the florist that you work at, do they do like events and yes. weddings and yeah. things like this? It's not like the bouquet that you get on the corner of the street. Yeah, or we do, it? 
Well, we do uh, big events, okay. big, um, we have a lot of restaurant accounts okay. and I am more in charge of like the, the retail arrangements. So like the, the smaller pieces, but the woman I work for, her name is Emily Thompson. She used to be an artist. So everything is, she has an art background and everything is like very particular and a lot of the materials we use aren't stuff that you can get at the bodega they're like foraged or we get stuff from farms in rhode island or upstate mm -hmm. so there's they're fun to make right she has like really cool materials to work with yeah i was going to ask where the flowers come from i was once on a plane uh in ecuador in south america and the under on the tarmac was just it looked like a a floral shop exploded and it was because the shipping cart that w had just finished loading up the plane with were there flowers a lot of roses? from South America? I, I don't I don't know my flowers. Okay. I wish you could say it was like this <laughs> and that and uh, the other thing, but it was just flower petals and stems and yeah. kind of crushed things. So, you know, hearing you talk about some of the flowers coming from New England and and mm -hmm. farms probably in the area. Uh, I mean, are you mixing sort of local flowers with more exotic flowers that come from faraway places? Yeah, more tropical. Yes, yeah? there definitely is a big juxtaposition between the two of them and there's i mean going to the but we also get a lot of our flowers just from 28th street which is super convenient because it's close to my studio and it's you know and then our studio is right on 29th street so i walk through that market almost i guess i work for four days a week so I, about four days a week i get to walk through the flower market which is right. a lot of fun but it's definitely um it's crazy over there right and this is how you survive Yes. As an artist, yes. I mean, it's, your, it's how you subsidize your studio practice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so many of us have that day job yeah. that supports the art. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I imagine that's kind of nice with the floral work that you do is, um, you know, these sort of historical ideas about beauty and how, to, how that idea comes through in a flower um, and then how you arrange that or compose that within a thing mm -hmm. um, and how that may or may not connect to some of the ideas in your work because I know the word beauty and, and reinterpreting that idea of beauty yeah. is something that you think about. Maybe there's a spot there we can pivot into yeah, talking no, about beauty. Is. Also, like decorative arts yeah. is a big thing and especially working with different flowers and deciding like what flowers to put together to make an arrangement. Use a lot of design, basic design principles like okay, I'm going to make this arrangement that has a lot of spheres and like round balls and pods and how those all go together harmoniously is also very similar to the way I, I do think about making my work because it's like, okay, what shapes or what textures are like together mm -hmm. and, and look good together and mm -hmm. also don't look good together mm -hmm. um, is some, definitely something that I think about a lot. Yeah, yeah. And there's even floral imagery in your work because you're yes, utilizing that, a lot of rugs that, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that have floral patterns on them. Um, I know that you <clears throat> have sort of described your work as slipping between sculpture and painting mm -hmm. and yeah, even a domestic rug because uh, that's how you, <clears throat> excuse me, how, how you sometimes present these. And I know it makes artists itchy to talk about the binaries and how we describe our work in ourselves. Um, but when you have to define these for for someone asks what type of artist are you what type of work do you make do you have your kind of elevator pitch for these I mean I yeah I I do I do and I don't I feel like it changes a lot but um 
recently I think my elevator pitch is that they exist somewhere between a painting and a rug. Okay. So kind of both and also neither. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that shows up in how you're installing them too. They're, yes. they're installed on a wall like a painting. Sometimes they're on a floor uh, like a rug. And I remember when I met you, you had just finished installing um, a room and you had a piece as a on the floor presenting kind of like a rug. And my first question was like, can I walk on it? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So that sort of activating of the space and the expectation of viewer has going coming into it and seeing this object that's made of rugs presented like a rug. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we turn the microphones on, microphones on, we were talking about that, this, this sort of challenge of, of, managing the viewer's expectations and if they can touch these things and if they can walk on them and you are using a lot of objects that are designed to be held in the hand rope twine Mm -hmm. fabrics uh old rugs um can you talk about how you engage that viewer a little bit and if there are any boundaries that you hope a viewer sort of will intuit by encountering your work right well i definitely get this question a lot and i think You know, I feel like people approach them more as a, they know it's a rug, but definitely with more hesitation and respect, almost like a floor tapestry Uh in a way. And there is that kind of hesitation that excites me when I get to tell someone or you're allowed to walk on it. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's this thing that happens that when there's paint or you see like represent or representation of the hand that someone was making this by hand even yeah, though a lot of rugs yeah, yeah are made by hand but in different countries that they don't mind walking on those but for some reason like in a gallery setting there is this level of like oh am i allowed to walk on this but sometimes people just walk on it no problem so right. that you know there is there's kind of both yeah i imagine that's i mean when you're when you're working in this way yeah, in the context in which it's presented, it really is sort of like managing your own expectations and how people are going to engage these things. And then, yeah, what sort of experience the viewer has with being around objects that look like X, but are actually Y. Yeah. And yeah, you're not supposed to touch that or walk on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that said, like at the opening for Nada House, I, I think I came through your room and everyone was like, standing on the perimeter (laughs) so like the middle was empty and so there was like a general understanding like that's an art object and and we're gonna respect it as such which i definitely do appreciate Mm -hmm. because i definitely you know ideally these this would go into somebody's home and they would be able to use it so almost like a rug in a showroom at a store even you know you're not like bouncing on it and treating it like it's your your own right you know there is that level of like Right. Yeah, and let's let's note uh, historically, rugs have been made to be hung on wall as tapestry. Yes. Right. Then, yes. So you're you're sort of nodding or leaning towards that history as well yeah. with your work. I think um, I mentioned some of the materials that you use to make these things, and mm-hmm. I <clears throat> I understand you as an artist that uh, that really believes in materials and using different materials in different ways and recontextualizing them and deconstructing them. Can you talk about the process a little bit and, and maybe what the first step is in the middle and the end? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, I'm a huge collector and a pack rat, for lack of a better term. Um, 
even before I was making these rug pieces, I was always saving lots and lots of fabric. And I wasn't even using the fabric that much in these other paintings I was making. But I've always just been really drawn to textiles. Like even in my apartment, I just have bags of like weird scarves. I, don't, I have a hard time getting rid of stuff. Yeah. And so I guess there's always a big part of my work and my studio practice is keeping just having lots of stuff around me. And then usually when it comes time to make something again, again, or, you know, constantly, whatever the, you know, yeah, yeah. however life is going, um, I will take something, a piece of a smaller piece of carpet or some rope or I don't know, a piece of like a cut up mat and then usually use it as like a central point and then just start kind of shopping around my own studio to see what thing I want to put with it. Right. And are you looking, you're, it's like a mix of formal decision making, yeah. not, not unlike making the floor arrangement. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's all formal So you're looking making. for those uh, sort of... And functional decision making yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, Those um, color relationships or yes. shape relationships, yeah. material right. relationships. And then, then... As I sort of understand your work, there's a lot of um, interruption in those things, too. Like, how yeah. do I get these two things that aren't supposed to go together or came from very different places to weave together? Um, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. pun, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, um, talk about that, how you're sort of like glitching and collaging and interrupting. Yeah, glitching that's, is that's a good word. I that's like a, that. That's, a, I think, a huge part of these. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. Um, I definitely do like to have that surprise element like oh look how nice and smooth this like I'm really into sisal right now so you know this pre prefabricated sisal rug and then I'll like you know start I got all this like sisal rope and I'll be braiding all of it and smoothing it all together and then like I'll you know shove something in there like a fan or something that looks similar but then upon closer examination you're like oh that's actually a pre-made fan that's right. stuck in there. And when you say fan, like one of these fans? Yeah, like okay. a yeah. hand fan. Like a hand fan. Yeah, yeah. Or like a slipper or even like a, and then, you know, in this case, like a big red circle or something, you know, like mm -hmm. something to also heighten the handwork that I'm doing right. too is a big thing. Yeah, the, the handwork in these is really important. Um, you're, you're weaving by hand. I don't, you know, we're in your studio. I don't see a, machine anywhere yes it's all it's all hands yeah um and i know you paint and draw on these as well mm -hmm. so there's that sort of gesture in there uh to potentially connect these different sections well it's a similar with the whole like you know the glitching and the you know take disrupting yeah one tr uh, kind of a train of thought and then moving it to another train of thought or yeah you know a different um gesture or yeah yeah and with the works that you have on the floor here mm -hmm. uh that were out from a previous uh studio visit you mentioned you know there's there's some positive negative play you've got some yes. cut out spots so you're letting the support the floor the wall come through yeah um there are these openings um there's sections where you're weaving uh is is creating an opening i'm looking at the little triangle spaces on that piece around uh -huh. the circle so you're playing with contour in a way you're interrupting the the squareness of the piece of fabric or the rug that you found that's something i noticed at, at uh your install at nada house was particularly this one wall work it had like these real big swoops and 
you're you were really able to honor the the sort of serpent like yeah edge of a of the piece of rope or, or the the way that rope wanted to bend yeah um and that was like pushing and pulling my eye in, in an interesting way so again with that glitch you're like you're interrupting what you know the, the right angle right qualities of these squares but also doing what the material wants to do yeah which i think is what i really i don't know like that i feel like is when the material is the most as like a someone that's obsessed with you know different materials and materiality mm-hmm. that to me is so exciting when like the rope gets to like go in circles and keep spiraling on it onto itself yeah yeah these materials have muscle yeah um and a memory yes and and, and sometimes we have to not fight that um yeah i mean and then it usually it's looks its best when it does what it wants to yeah do you're letting it, you're guiding it, yeah, it yeah 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 you're the director yeah in a way <laughs> um the other thing with with i think using materials in this way and i know that you sometimes find these uh you purchase them i know i think i read that you trade for some of these materials um but these materials have a sentimentality to them and a history to them and then you're colliding a new history on top of that can you talk about the history of the material and how that may or may not come through in the final yeah, pieces sure. well we were talking a little bit about this before too I mean, there's kind of two different, I guess when I'm in New York and I'm making work here, a lot of this, these materials come from, you know, different stores or different, um, like, you know, housing work sometimes or like weird, you know, trash stores that I like love going to. But, um, and also my mom is a big, uh, person who donates a lot of, <laughs> to my fund as I call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's also like an avid collector and is always looking out for me and they live in Massachusetts. So when they'll come when my parents come to visit, they'll like load up their car and she's like, I got a bunch of stuff from you and she like her friends are giving constantly giving me rugs, which is amazing and I'm so grateful for that. And also my parents just moved, so they were getting rid of a lot of stuff. Right. And instant material. <laughs> yes, instant material. And even like, you know, my sister's old rug, which was like I drew all over. And I was like, this feels so good to like draw all over my sister's bedroom <laughs> rug. Yeah. Um, so stuff, there's that part of it. And then there's also, I guess another thing I should say is I really don't get stuff online. And I just recently started to do more eBaying. Uh, yeah. Because I don't know why I haven't done that more. Everyone's like, oh, if you do, you must go on Craigslist all the time. And right. it's like I do sometimes, but I kind of have this weird like hesitation. I get that. Yeah. You can't you can't touch it or smell it or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. There's, I mean, something's lost when you're looking at a small yeah. image on an eBay yeah. page, Even right? though sometimes like, and I feel like I was one of those people that was late to the game even like buying clothes online. And now I'm like really into it. But I think slowly I will start to get more into the buying stuff online but then there's also this component of finding materials um if i'm doing like a residency somewhere or show someplace that's like the best part of it is that i get to then look around this new town and go to their you know new thrift stores yeah it sounds like there's a little bit of archaeology involved yeah the place and using materials and objects that you found at that place to make the thing yeah that's great the other thing I wanted to mention, because I think Polly Cashy, who's who runs Safe Gallery, who who is uh, presenting your work yes. at Nada House, mentioned that uh, some of the rugs that you use have 
cat piss stains on oh, them. Or dog. Or dog. dog. Yeah. Um, um, and there's this sort of reevaluation of what the front of a piece is versus the back, which is something I identified with. Is That's something I do in my studio with like flipping these pieces yeah. over to find the interesting bits. Um, but can you talk about that sort of discovering surprise of flipping a rug over and seeing, yeah. seeing that cat urine stain yeah. and the shape of it and be like, actually, that's the answer. Yeah, well, actually, my... So my mom, we I grew up with two dogs, and one of them was a mini dachshund who I was obsessed with, and um, she passed away two years ago, and my mom was getting rid of a bunch of rugs, and she was a really old dachshund and would pee, like you'd say hi to her, and she'd just start peeing like crazy. And so a bunch of our rugs were ruined because of Darla, and this one rug in particular, the front side of it was like a really basic pottery barn rug that had all these different squares and I've seen it in multiple people's other parents house. If like everyone knows what this rug looks like, it's like on sitcoms and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, so my mom gave me this rug and I was like, Ugh, I don't want to do anything with this rug, but thanks so much. And I, but I was turning it over and I was like, Oh, these stains are kind of cool. And the back is like kind of just that basic cotton terracotta woven type of thing. Yeah. So I ended up cutting it up and then I was like, I'm going to paint over this. And I made these like flowers and, and then I did this big hand weaving in the center of it. And it was at my two person show at safe gallery Mm -hmm. and it was called pea stains. Some, I forget the full title, but it had pea stains in the title. And um, actually my mom came to see the show. She was like, Oh, I hate that you titled that pea stains. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, that's what it is. It's pea stains. And that's something that a mom will say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) To their artist (laughs) kid. (laughs) But it's funny. I actually, I did end up, someone does have that piece now and I feel like they don't really understand that it's actually pea stains, but you know. Well, that was my next question. I mean, you know, speaking of like uh, a more conservative viewer, I like, I have people in my life that would be like, pea stain, I, I don't want a, 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 an art object with pea stain. Yeah. I want a painting of a landscape. You yeah, know? yeah, and, yeah. And we all know these people, right? right. But but is that ever a consideration with, with how some of these stains? Um, oh, I mean, yeah, for we, sure. We, we, we are operating in, a, in the contemporary art world where, you know, the mark and the image, it can be as controversial as ever and no one can blink an eye. Yes. I guess I'm thinking about the people that are on the other side of that spectrum yeah. that we have in our family, our mothers, you yes. know, whoever. I mean, it's for the right person. Like not all, yeah. I feel like I'm, my work definitely reaches like there's that extreme and there's the other extreme where I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this as clean as possible. I'm going to vacuum it. It's going to be sanitary, you know, polished. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Polished. And then there's like the other part of me that's like, okay, this, I like something really disgusting and yeah. you know, dirty and mm-hmm. I like find beauty and stains so yeah do you find yourself sort of responding to your work like if you make a polished piece to use that adjective you you know you spend a couple months on or however long it takes to make these things is your next piece going to be in response to that and be more grungy maybe have you ever have you ever noticed like what leads to what you know that's a good question i don't know if, if there probably is i feel like i definitely like to have a balance or one kind of more rough around the edges piece or one sort of piece that's more painterly than the next. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're def- and I also feel like my work, they all tend to be kind of different from one another. Like I like to make, I think because they take so long, 
to make and they're so labor intensive. Like I want to give myself a change after the next one. So I definitely think there is yeah. part of that. Yeah. I also just think it's like these choices are the summary of what happened to us that week in our, yes. in our lives outside of the studio. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. For and, sure. Um, and that manifests in the work, you know, life is in the work and how we live our lives always is turning up in the work. Right. I mean, I think again, to go back before we hit the, hit, hit the record button you were yeah. saying that um a collector was in here recently and was like that one looks dirty and it w it's the paint treatment that you put on it so like yeah these interpretations are going to happen yes um but that dirty piece dirty in air yeah. quotations is going to be beauty to, some, yeah. to someone else right yes. um which is the great thing about i think one of the great things about what we do yes <laughs> and life in general yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you know i mentioned not a house mm -hmm. a couple times and that's where we met yes and um i had seen your work prior but i got to meet you and talk to you about your work as you were sort of wrapping up your install um these recordings were kind of celebrating the 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 nada house effort and the 45 different artists and galleries that put work out there um but can you talk about your installation out there and maybe yeah. how that idea came together and and again, I'll just mention that that Safe Gallery is hosting. Yes, hosting. Your and show. I love working with Safe Gallery. Working with Polly is always the best. Yeah. And I was really excited and honored when she wanted to do something with me out there because I really do. The it was exciting. I hadn't seen the house before, but it was really exciting. The idea of working or putting my work in this kind of like abandoned rundown house mm -hmm. situation because I feel like my work always really plays off architecture in interesting ways and you know just bringing a bunch of working work out there and just seeing like okay well let's just kind of go with the flow and see what's what like I saw some pictures but it was very vague right and is um, that typically how you work or do you, per do you prefer to have more lead up to think about the space and then build work for that space um, or does it just depend I think it depends. It's yeah. scenario. Yeah. I definitely like just making something and then making it work regardless. Because right. a lot of my stuff, I was making actually the piece that was on the floor, I was thinking about hanging it. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, actually, it looks so much better on the floor. And I do, I am very flexible when it comes to that sort of thing, pretty for the most part. But um, that, so that was kind of a nice, and actually the smaller piece with the big, blue curls i thought that was going to be on the floor and it was on the wall right. so that was an interesting surprise but yeah. it all worked out for the best yeah it sounds like you're you're flexible i mean you have to be flexible yeah. in those situations right so some artists are not that you know they're rigid like this has to be like this yeah you're not that person yeah no i'm, I'm pretty flexible and actually yeah. the the bigger piece on the wall when we were talking about front and backs mm -hmm. i actually showed it in reverse earlier in the year at Nina Johnson gallery oh, on the amazing. floor and actually it looks completely different on the other side. And then Polly was like, and I brought it there to not put it to show on that other side, but then she turned it over and she was like, Oh, what if we hang it like this? So it was definitely like a collaboration. I would say. Yeah. I love this, uh, sort of representing the backside as the front Yeah, down the road. I mean, you're kind of getting two birds with one stone yeah, in a exactly. lot of ways. Right. Um, and I mean, just to have work that has that possibility, I think is really nice. Um, maybe for a little bit more context, Not a House is this public exhibition uh, on Governor's Island, which is, I think, 800 yards south of the southern tip of Manhattan. Um, and it's an old Coast Guard base that's been decommissioned and now uh, uh, a trust owns it, most of it. And 
the National Park Service owns a portion of it. But I think it's in this phase of development where there's all this arts programming going on. There's all these old buildings that I don't know what they're going to do with. Um, is this description of Governor's Island and not a house sound about right from your point of view? Yes. Is your experience of this been about that? Yes. Yeah. It's also, I mean, I was, I hadn't been there prior to installing and I was really pleasantly surprised. I mean, it's really, there's so much greenery out there yeah. and like rolling hills and trees. And I was actually talking to Polly about like, Oh God, wouldn't it be so cool if like they gave the space to artists and like, could have like cool residencies out there yeah. or even like housing out there or studios. I just feel like there's, but I definitely, there's like schools out there too. Like we saw a bunch of kids in uniforms. Oh yeah. There's, I mean, there's a high school, fully functioning high school, high school out there. Wow. Um, there's different little incubators of sorts, business incubators. And there's a lot happening Yeah, kind of just either, either out in the open or below the surface. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, our work is presented in these old captain houses where the Coast Guard captains and their families lived. And the houses are in disrepair. I think you mentioned they're kind of cruddy, right? Yeah. They feel like, it uh, feels like a haunted house. Like we're not allowed to use the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but your work, I thought, uh, slid right in quite well, <laughs> um, aesthetically and conceptually, right? Because there's this domestic aspect to your pieces because you're utilizing domestic objects, yeah. rugs and stuff like that. So it, it makes sense on a few different levels. Yeah. And um, the floors are really beautiful, like yeah. old wooden floors. So it was, yeah, it did yeah. suit them. It was uh, it was a strong presentation. Thank uh, you. Which Thank is you so much. one of the reasons why I'm here talking to you. <laughs> I guess I want to get back into uh, the studio and making these things. And I wanted to ask you, is it mostly frustrating or joyful to make these? Like what's, what is your emotional state while you're working on these? Is it peaceful? Is it? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I definitely go through many, many ups and downs when I'm making these. They are definite. I wouldn't say it's peaceful all the time. I mean, there's definitely some aspects of them where it is a lot of, it, it, it can be very meditative when I'm doing all like the braiding. Yeah. That repetitive stuff. Repetitive stuff. Yeah. And recently I've gotten better tools to make it less, to make it more enjoyable for myself and my hands. But, um, it definitely can be very frustrating at times. And I do get kind of like ah what's going on this it looks terrible and you know this is you know what am i making so i would be lying if i said it was right peaceful it sounds it sounds like that classic artist anxiety kicking in yes maybe maybe a little bit of like second guessing yes which can really derail things in the making process yes um and also it's yeah. just very labor intensive and actually mm -hmm. for the first time right now i have an intern which is amazing and um it's she's really helping me like produce all these you know braids and sections in bulk so i feel like eventually i'd like to it's interesting to try to think about steering your work. i mean so much about my work is the, that i mean this sounds so cliche but the pain of it you know yeah, like yeah. getting so frustrated i think does make for some cool moments yeah so well, i also think that within the creative process those painful moments or those frustrating moments 
um, or whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. those are that's like a um, a little bit of a cue that you're learning something new potentially, or that you might be on to something. Yeah, I really believe in that. You know, working through those frustrations, and you know, that's been there's been other artists that say this. It's, been, it's well documented, but it's something that I subscribe to. And it sort of sounds like maybe that. Yeah, that might be taking place in here as well. Yeah, no, I I completely yeah. agree with that. Um, but it's hard to think about that in the moment, like when you are oh, really yeah. frustrated to yeah. be like, I'm, you know, this is all. For no, the no, good. it's like two, three I'm, days later, like, oh, that that thing that was a total obstacle. Yeah. And how I solved it. Um, yeah, we don't we don't realize that in the moment. Um, it's usually a few days later, or yeah. maybe even months. Yep. I want to I want to take a second to describe your studio. Okay. We are in the the basement of of a. Uh, is, this, house? is it a carriage house? Yeah. Uh, and you you share this space with another artist who's b- behind me. I'm facing your half of the studio. Mm-hmm. On one wall, you have uh, a series of sh- of shelves that hold look like they're holding material, old rugs, fabric. It, it seems like they're they're fairly organized. You've got uh, uh, boxes full of different types of rope. Um, on another shelf, it looks like paint and dyes and tools. Um, and then there's a high shelf above that against these actually like they look like antique walls, you know, dark wood walls uh, w- with books and things like that. There's a column uh, just before us here uh, holding up the the uh, beams that go across the space that that have I don't know how many different types of rope and fabric hanging off. I mean, that's an object, an art object in itself. Yeah. I mean, it feels <laughs> like a piece. Um, and then it looks like a working table here with, with different rugs rolled up on top of and below. And then you have pieces that, that you've been showing that are out on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, there's resting areas, a couch. There's a, it looks like a sink, a little like kitchen area behind you. Is this sort of typical of the amount of action going on in here? Or is this sort of in-between projects? I mean, what's... Yeah, this, where, is, in where between, yeah. this is in between projects. I'm going to start... I took like a little... After the busting out that Nada stuff really fast, I was like, okay, I'm going to take a little break. I went on vacation. And I've been working a bunch doing other things. So now I'm getting back into production mode. Mm-hmm. And I also got a new shelf. That bigger one was new. So I kind of... I got rid of a lot of stuff, believe it or not, and I <laughs> cleaned. So this is kind of like me resetting. And that's what I like to do, too, after I, like, produce a lot of stuff and get things out. I like to reset the space yeah. and rearrange it or just kind of dust up new things, find stuff that I've been hiding. And so this is kind of, yeah, this is in, in between. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, I've been to a lot of studios. I'm sure you have, too. But this feels organized. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. That means a lot. Yeah. Let's do a little bit of biography. Okay. Um, I, I think I remember early in the conversation you said your mom lives in Massachusetts. Yes. Are you from well, Massachusetts? Yes. What well, part? I'm from kind of like the Metro West area. So of Boston. Yes, of Boston. What's the town? So my parents live in Sudbury right now, and I grew up there, and I also grew up in this town called Needham, and a little bit in Brookline mm-hmm. as well. Is there a Jordan's Furniture in Needham? Yes, there is. <laughs> and actually, my dad knows the Jordan's Furniture guys. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Those, I mean, I grew up in New England, so I, okay. I know of Jordan's Furniture yes. and, and their advertisements on TV. Oh, yeah. Those. Jordan's the, the, Furniture. Yeah, Jordan's Furniture. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, their brothers, I, I heard that 
one of them is not well, so that's why there's only one brother advertising their furniture now. Oh. But he's had this like greasy squid-like ponytail. Oh, yes. And tech beard, like yes. very... What it, are it's n- uncomfortable, I don't know. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> Actually, my dad, you don't know how he knows him, is my dad's old friend is his cousin. That's like so Boston, yeah, you know. Yeah. But, um, and yeah, they have a fake bourbon street in one of the stores yeah they have they have like uh almost like disney world like stuff at these stores there's like um amusement park rides and movie theaters and they're always like located on like a hill so i feel like you can like so they're like looking down at you like on route nine you know like it looks like a mall yes um Anyways, not yeah. to digress too no, much off <laughs> into Jordan's furniture, but do you remember what your introduction to art was? Like, what introduced you to art? What was what was your sort of gateway into this world? Well, I've always been really into crafts, like arts and crafts. I always went to art camp. I was never into sports, even though I played them, but I was always terrible at them. And I just, I mean, art was always like my favorite subject. I was kind of like that, like art nerd girly mm-hmm. girl type of kid and you followed it through and went to art school yeah went to RISD went to RISD and did what what did you end up studying what would what did and when you have to select your major Paint. I studied painting so you're 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 can I use the word trained as a painter or yeah. are you just studied painting right? I studied painting but yeah. you what did you study at RISD illustration okay um but I I made a leap yes into a different field that's cool yeah yeah um I wanted actually I took a lot of textiles classes when I was there and I want before I remember in high school I also went to a, a high school that had a really great art department and um I remember talking to my teachers telling him I wanted to study textiles mm-hmm. and he was like no no you're an artist you need to like study painting and at the time and now I'm kind of like oh maybe I should have said but who knows where I'd be yeah. I don't know well I think those barriers are sort of disintegrating too yes. like between textiles and painting yeah and this was also like in the speaking early of binaries right yeah. um um yeah i mean there's there's a lot of cross-pollination of material and um you know hearing you talk about studying painting but interested in taking textile classes i studied illustration but i took painting classes you know yeah it just the work sort of finds its way yes i want to so believe true. in that yeah maybe we could talk about p- professionalization okay and Deciding to pursue art as some form of career or a way to um, potentially earn an income uh, and share work in commercial and institutional gallery settings. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about how you how you got your foot in those doors and how you pursue showing opportunities yeah. um, and things like this? Yeah. Well, I feel like going to the, I mean, the best thing about, I feel like I got out of my education at RISD was all of, I met a lot of really amazing friends Mm -hmm. and really great people and had, you know, great teachers who were very supportive. And I, after graduating, I moved here in the fall after graduating, or I guess August, July, August, not really, so summer. And I guess through friends, I just kind of started showing and my grandma gave me some money when I graduated college. So I got, was able to get an artist studio for a little bit mm-hmm. and then it kind of trickled from there. So I think just kind of keeping up momentum has been a big thing for me. Yeah. I mean, 
There's been many times where I was like, okay, I really need to make a decision. Like if I'm going to keep doing this or not, like I'm not, you know, selling as much as I can be to make a living and I should be, you know, working my day job more. Cause I, I only work four days a week mm -hmm. and I've, I've been really like persistent about that, even though like the people I work with would like to have it differently, but right. you know, I kind of have always kept my foot down and yeah, you got to protect your, your time to make art. Yeah, exactly. And be selfish with it. Ex I think not enough artists are selfish with their time. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. that's so true. Um, so there's a combination I think between actually, I should backtrack a little bit. I think it's more about like every time that I would say, okay, I'm going to, you know, do something else or some, someone would ask me to be in a show mm -hmm. or something would keep going or someone would be like, Oh, I want to come have a studio visit. And then, I mean, even if it's, if it's as simple as just having like an ego boost that I think has really helped yeah. to be completely honest. Like, cause so much of this is like your ego just gets so at least mine gets bruised really easily. Oh yeah. 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 Like rejection or like, you know, because the art world can be kind of like a cool kids club. Kind of. I mean, it, it is. is. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you'll be like, oh, I don't, I also, I don't know. Like, I feel like I used to go to openings all the time, like, really trying to meet people constantly. And I'm really happy I did do that, like, in my 20s. But I feel like now that I'm in my 30s, it's just, it's harder to keep up with all of those things. Right, you right. Know? Um, it sounds like the social aspect uh, is, has been important. The community yes. that you established um, at RISD and, and, and th that group that always graduates and kind of takes the pipeline directly to New York right after. Mm -hmm. Um, and then how opportunities sort of come through that community. Yeah. Or I'm always thinking about how much is it the, the, the strength of the work that you're making versus the people that you're networking with mm. in terms of how the work is landing in these galleries and things like this. Um, and I think, in a, in a healthy setting, it's it's equal parts, um, but there's days where I'm like, yeah, you, you know, I was I was at the right place at the right time, and they said, yeah, you want to be in the show, yeah, then the work is in a, in a gallery. Yeah, I mean, where do you, where do you sort of see that split between like the hustle and the networking versus making strong art? I think they both need each other. Yes, in terms well, of getting these opportunities. In terms of, I mean. I think it changes throughout the stage of your career, quote unquote, and yeah. your age and where you are in that. You know, so much also has to do with like privilege, of course, and being able to have a studio and being able to make that work, but also like adjusting yourself to make stuff, whether you have that studio or not. Like I remember before I had a studio, I was making like these like little watercolors and Something you could fit on your kitchen Something table. Could, yeah, exactly. And yeah. I would just make in like my apartment that I was sharing with like five other people, you know. And then I remember I had this like little roof space and we were making, I made like the sculpture on the roof with a friend and we like showed it. That was like my first show. So, you know, that's a hard question though because I think it really does depend on the time. I'd like to think that it, the older you get, the more it is about the quality of the work. Yeah. And that when you're younger, it's oh, it's quality, but it's also who you're friends with. Let's get back into the studio here and the art. You know, there's also a time signature to your work in terms of the wear wear of the f of the found rug or the used rug. Can you talk about that and 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 the the touch and the wear that's in these and how you 
sometimes emphasize that by leaving it in front and center or taking it away, covering it with paint or cutting it out completely. I think it's more of like a feeling, like if this feels like too, if the wear and tear is too much, then I'll cut it out and I'll kind of use that as like a gateway to patch something or sometimes it's like the starting point of a piece. Like I really want to use this section or this like flower on this rug is amazing and I really want to use it but like this one part is gross like how can I cover this to yeah and that to me I feel like is actually what how a lot of these start is by the patching or sometimes I'll even like create a hole based on another hole because I like the shape of that hole mm-hmm. and using that as a like a inspiration yeah it's it's uh you know these sound like like painterly choices responding yeah. to the the shape and the information or the gesture um, isolating the, the part that you like and yeah. subtracting the part that you don't. Uh, no, they definitely yeah, are. That language is in there. Yes. For sure. Let's shift to some kind of heavy-handed questions, though okay. I think they're important. What do you think the most important thing that artists should remember to do might be? Does anything come to mind when I put that big question in front of you? Remember to do. Yeah. I think it's more about remembering to make stuff that you actually like and not trying to, cause it's so easy when someone comes into your studio and it's like pins point, like, well, look, Oh, I love this little part over here. And then like, I'll be like, okay, well now I need to make all my work. That looks like that one little corner over there, right. but then someone else may think something different. So it's like, it's so. It's know, arbitrary. Yes. It's completely arbitrary and subjective. Yeah. I mean, I think I've said this before in past recordings, but. I really believe in this idea of making work for yourself first, for your friends and loved ones second, your community. Mm-hmm. And then after that, like, don't bother pandering. Because yeah. that's when you, like, start hating yourself. <laughs> yeah. For what a, you know, I mean, that's like the sort of icky feeling that you can sometimes get. Yeah. yeah. Especially because then later down the line, I often think about this too. Like, when am I going to think about this stuff, you know, 20 years from now? And I often find like the, even the stuff that I made, like other work that I was making like six or seven years ago that doesn't look anything like this, like the stuff that is the most free and kind of the weirder, the better, like I really still like the most, you know? Yeah. Do you ever think about how you, like where, where you, where your head was at, at that time when you were making those things sort of reverse engineer? I think it was not caring. Yeah. 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 Not caring and not overthinking it maybe, right? And maybe that's something that. Speaking of remembering yes. to do, artists should remember to like not overthink it. Yeah. To kind of not care as much as sometimes we yeah. do, which sounds counterintuitive, but I think there's something to it. No, there definitely is. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard state of mind to be in, though, because like I've been trying to, my dad meditates a lot and he keeps telling me, you really got into meditating. It's really, you know, good yeah. for you. And I've, I find I've been people trying. People that meditate are always trying to get other people to meditate. Yeah, yeah, they are. And I, you know, I Probably have, for a reason. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I have like an app and I do do it sometimes. Yeah. But I do feel like it's that kind of idea of like mindfulness in a way. Like if you can kind of like be mindful of not being mindful. I don't know. It's kind of like reversing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a constant game of tricking yourself or something. I mean, it sounds so dismissive to to not care. Of course, we should be caring about these things because they're incredibly important to us. It's our lives. It's what we sort of like the lens in which we view the world. Right. Yeah. But um, I think there is something important with letting parts of it go yes i guess that's what we're talking about yeah letting it yeah exactly you know if we i'm sort of talking or we are sort of talking about this pursuit and 
sometimes how it can be challenging and get in the way. What keeps you coming back to it? What are you driving towards? What's pushing you forward? You know, at this point in my life, I think what is pushing me forward is definitely, I mean, I would, I see these pieces kind of going in two directions a little bit, like maybe pushing painterly ones further and pushing more functional ones further in that direction. Huh. Um, so I think what pushes me forward is I just want to keep making stuff that's exciting to me and exciting to other people and hopefully, you know, making more sales along the way and mm-hmm. just kind of figuring that out. Do you envision yourself making kind of two sets of work, one that's more art object and one that's more functional or, or is that possibly is that lazy of me to sort of say? No, no, I think I think possibly I would yeah. like to experiment with that a little bit mm-hmm. just to try to make it, you know, not to be more like business minded, but a mm-hmm. little bit more like pushing those further in each direction. Yeah. And then if maybe coming back again in this way, like I feel like they've been right for so long, they've been at this kind of like state of ambiguity between the two of them, which is interesting. But I think the next exciting thing for me would be kind of push yeah. it further. Yeah. It sounds like uh, committing in one direction and the other. Um, I, I like this idea, sort yeah. of separating, see what seeing what happens and, it's almost like two different audience sets. It's two different ways of reading the work, two different ways of using the work. Yeah. Function versus non-function. Yeah. Uh, uh, utility. I mean, mm-hmm. these are all things that sort of come into play here, right? Do you have like a short versus long-term plan? What's on the horizon? Um, what are you working towards? I'm working towards, I definitely would like to be in my studio more and having this be more of my main you know I'd like to be making more money doing this than doing flowers so I'd like that to shift a little bit I think I'd still always want to be doing flower things because I think I would miss working with them and then I have some things on the horizon that I can't really talk about but you know just more production more making right. stuff and it's been fun work having being able to have someone work with me so I'd like to do more of that and kind of yeah Making this stuff, you're you're in isolation, so having uh, people here helping you along with it must be refreshing. It is refreshing. Yeah. I mean, I get my my girlfriend helps me a lot when I'm like under a pressure. I'm like, okay, yeah. it's time. Let's ha- I'll I'll like buy us dinner, and you can help me like produce this stuff because I also I tend to work. I work better under pressure. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Teamwork is an important concept. Yes, that sounds great. Well, Sophie, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me, and uh, it's been a a real pleasure to learn about your work and see more of it and see how it's made i'm glad thank you so much for coming to my studio this is so fun yeah great thanks sophie we've made it to the end a quick reminder that deep color is independently produced and a free resource for listeners Help support and sustain this project by making a donation online at deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also learn more about each contributing artist, find links to their online portfolios, and access the archive of past recordings. Be sure to share this project within your community and subscribe and rate in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks for listening and check back soon for a new episode.